Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Draft Room NFL Insights and Analysis. Good to have you as always. I'm Patrick Rossiello, joined again by my good friend Jacob Bronson. We got an exciting show today, don't we, Jacob? Definitely. We're diving into our, our film tape analysis. Uh, we got the quarterbacks today. Yep. Um, I think it's a good quarterback class this year. Obviously, I think most people would agree much better than the last year with one first-round pick, uh, Kenny Pickett. I think it was number 20 overall. Other guys in that class, you got Matt Corral didn't play because he was injured, and then Malik Willis played a little bit for the Titans. But I think this class is really stacked. There are a lot of guys here I like. But, um, I mean, to go back to that last year's class, I just think something that's so interesting, you look at who panned out, right? And look where Brock Purdy was drafted, right? Oh, yeah. Mr. I didn't even mention Brock Purdy, who just stepped up in that role for the 49ers in the great Kyle Shanahan system. No disrespect to Purdy. He filled that role very well. So, uh, as we'll get to in our honorable mention section later in the episode, this quarterback draft class, you know, although all the people up top are getting all the hype from all these analysts, um, it's really those later round guys who... A, give these teams the best bang for their buck. And, you know, a lot of teams are just a lot more willing to take a late-round flyer on some of the guys in the later rounds. And and it's it's amazing to see when they pan out. And the Brock Purdy situation, I mean, all NFL fans love to see that. So I mean, yeah, it's the perfect, uh, it's the perfect sleeper situation you dream of, getting a late-round sleeper, especially at the quarterback position. I mean, that's huge. We haven't had a story like Brock Purdy since... For a while, but I think there's a consensus top four right now for quarterbacks, but where we get into more of the sleepers that we think are guys that could fall in the draft, some guys even projected as UDFAs, undrafted free agents in this draft class, um, with our fifth ranked in our top five, and then also we're both going to give an honorable mention at the end to a guy that we think isn't necessarily in our top five, but we wouldn't be shocked if they end up having successful NFL careers in whatever situation they may be in. But without further ado, uh, Jacob, let's start with your list. Let's start from the top. Who is your QB1 of the 2023 NFL draft? Uh, at the quarterback one spot, I got Bryce Young. I just think that, honestly, we'll get into it, uh, our breakdowns in a second, but I just think he is the most polished quarterback on this list, and I'm just really, really excited. Um, you know, at Alabama this season when he didn't have as many weapons as you know previous Alabama teams had he he beat the adversity and I think a lot of people um were surprised at you know just how this Alabama team was not as star-studded as it has been in past years and yet Bryce Young still um put up incredible stats this year and and had a great year um and then at at the two spot I've got CJ Stroud out of Ohio State um, really love CJ Stroud, honestly. Uh, you know, going into this year, I wasn't the hugest believer and the hugest, uh, I wasn't as on board with some other people, mm-hmm. uh, as, as I was on CJ Stroud because I just didn't think that he had developed and matured enough to be a, an NFL ready quarterback, but just the way he played in that Georgia game, oh I my think God. he's, I think he's so, he's, he's ready for Yeah, the I think he showed in that game that he's, uh. He, he can shine in the big moment. You know, he's not he's not afraid of the bright lights. Exactly, exactly. And that was great to see. It was the culmination of the entire season yeah. um, on display in the national championship game. Or, sorry, the, the national semifinal I mean, game. let's be honest. It was the national championship game. Honestly. It, honestly. it really was. I don't think... It, um, it feels like it was because the, the national championship game was, was such a non Such a snooze fest. Oh, my goodness. 
What was the final score like? Something like 50, 56 to 7? Pull it up for us for a second. TCU blown out of the water. That. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was just, I mean, I mean, props to Max Duggan and Quentin Johnson and the entire roster for uh, Texas Christian and, you know, beating Michigan in that exciting game. But, man, they just got trounced by Georgia in the final. 65 to 7. 65 to 7. That's even worse than I thought it was. That is a, that is a next-level slaughter. In a game that, you know, a lot of – it's hard to make this this uh, normally – this, this – uh, Decision normally, but Ohio State likely would have won this game. Yeah, I mean, if, I think without I think, question, I think they would have taken TCU. I think they would have beaten them. If uh, you know, if uh, if Noah Ruggles would have made that fifty yarder, or if the if uh, Ryan Day wasn't too scared to call uh, to only call running plays and actually called some passing plays so we could get some yards, uh, make it a shorter field goal for us Ohio State fans. But alas, uh, it was a good season. CJ Stroud, I think, proved his worth. All right, yeah, and moving on. Uh, so I actually, on my paper here for the notes for this episode, uh, I drew a big line under <laughs> C.J. Yep. Stroud uh, because I just think there's a huge gap in, um, in not in talent or, uh, or projected uh, NFL uh, skill level, but I think in NFL readiness for sure. So I think Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud separated from the rest of the list in terms of their readiness for the NFL, in my opinion. Um, so at three, I've got Anthony Richardson, and I think Florida guy, Florida guy, yeah. Uh, Anthony Richardson had a lot of preseason hype about him, and you know he had, he made some incredible plays and showed flashes of an absolutely elite talent and an elite athlete. And I just think his upside could be way higher than any of the guys on this list. And although you know he he had some issues, you know he's very unpolished and he's very. Um, you know, obviously he's not there yet. Yeah, he's I still super, think, super raw, I think. Super raw, but uh, definitely think that he can make make some splashes in the, in the NFL. At four spot, I got a guy that you really like a lot. I've got Will Levis. Um, and Will Levis, I really like the guy, but personally, I just think that I, I don't really see him in the NFL having that much success. I know a lot of people see it with him. I just honestly cannot. I think he's going to take... Um, time to develop for sure more so than Bryce Young CJ Stroud um, I just think that you know he's yes he's very poised in the pocket but he's had some accuracy issues um, you know a lot of people like to point to Josh Allen as uh, his NFL comparison but it remains to be seen honestly I'm, I'm excited to see where Will Levis goes I know that a lot of other analysts have him ranked much much higher on their list, but he comes in at the four spot for me. Yeah, and some something interesting about that. So I'm gonna preface this by saying, um, in the NFL draft process, and we know when guys, journalists, whatever you want to call them, talk about these guys, they love to give player comps. I player comps are one of my least favorite things about the draft process because I just think, I mean, you're never gonna find like a one to one. You're never gonna find something like, oh, he's like this player. I personally, I don't think, I think the Will Levis and Josh Allen player comp is very misguided. I think that they are fundamentally very different players, but what I think, what I think the player comp comes from is they have very similar, I guess we'll call them stories going into the draft process. You know, they're both from like smaller schools. You know, Kentucky obviously played a lot better Lesser known football schools, I would than, say. Yeah. Is Kentucky the right definitely... Term, yeah. Played, uh, you know, more uh, more talented squads than Wyoming did. But, you know, lesser-known football schools, 
and they're both really raw. They're bigger, have big arms. But the arm strength is what really. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. But there. I think I think there are a lot of like differences in their games, and I think um, in how they play. And I think what the player comp really comes from is just that they're both raw guys who didn't like you know produce numbers wise as well as some of the other guys in their class and so a lot of people like college football fans sometimes are surprised at how highly nfl scouts or analysts value these guys in the draft but yeah as you said uh, levis and richardson are definitely two guys with high upsides but you know they're gonna take more development i think i think we definitely both agree that stroud and young look like the most nfl ready of this group now uh for sure Going more into uncharted waters now, who do you have at your five spot? Yeah, so this is actually going to come as uh, maybe a surprise to some some of our listeners, but at the five spot, I've got the man, Dorian Thompson-Robinson on DTR. UCLA. DTR, yeah. Um, I think as a late-round flyer in the sixth and seventh round, which is where he's being projected, I think he's an absolute steal. You're looking at a guy who was a multi-year starter at UCLA, and overall is just an incredible athlete. I think Anthony Richardson and Dorian Thompson-Robinson might be the best two athletes. And that you can make the case for them being the best two athletes in this quarterback class. And honestly, like Dorian Thompson-Robinson taking a late-round flyer on, I love. Because worst comes to worst, he can be a gadget player for you guys. You know, the trick plays are becoming more and more popular nowadays. I think Dorian Thompson-Robinson is a steal in the late rounds. Yeah, and... uh He's certainly an intriguing prospect. I I wouldn't mind, you know, the Bears taking, like, a seventh-round flyer on him. He seems like, you know, another dual-threat guy that could maybe be a good long-term backup for Fields in that system. But um, I think let's move on to my list now. We'll save the honorable mentions for the very end, I think. I would agree with that, Patrick. Let's, let's hear what you got for us. All right, so not too – our lists are, you know, decently similar, but we definitely got some um, – some differences in there. So my number one guy, I didn't think this is, you know, a week or two ago, this guy wasn't my number one. But after taking, you know, a full comprehensive look at all the tape, I really think this guy is the best guy in the draft class. Um, and that is uh, the Ohio State Buckeye, C.J. Stroud. Um, I just, man, I think he's going to have a very successful and long NFL career. Uh, we'll get into why in a second. But I think in order to for you guys to understand why I put him at number one, I have to tell you guys about my number two, who is Bryce Young. Bryce Young, for the last couple weeks, I've regarded as, I think, my top guy. But things changed when I kind of took a side-by-side look at both of their game. Um, I think we have to start with Bryce Young. He's one of my favorite players in this draft period. I also think he's going to be very successful in the NFL. I mean... He is just, like Jacob said, you know, previous quarterbacks at Alabama in that Saban system, like Mac Jones or Tua Tonga-Vailoa, they had such good structure in place. First-round picks alongside them as teammates in the offensive line, as their pass catchers. You see that picture all the time that surfaces on social media from time to time? The uh, Alabama wide receiving core? Alabama wide receiving core was, like, such a great college receiving core. Like, it was, like... It was what Judy, Henry Ruggs, Henry, Henry Ruggs uh, CD in, Lamb in, in prison right now, but yeah, CD Lamb. Uh, well, no, CD Lamb was uh, Oklahoma, I believe. Oh yeah, you're right. Not Alabama Lamb. was there. Was some he other, was part of the draft class. I don't know. Oh, it was Devonte Smith. It was Devonte Smith. He, sorry, my bad. He was part of that draft it happens, class. It happens. We're doing this um, live. 
Um, yeah, he was, he was, he was part of that draft. Who's the other guy, the, the fourth guy in that picture that I can't think of? I don't know why. Right? We, there's Judy Ruggs Smith. There is one. Oh, it was Waddle. It's Jalen Waddle. Yeah, Jalen Waddle. Right. Jalen Waddle. Um, and I, now, you know, at Ohio State, we got that. that oh, yeah. Now, same I think uh, there could be another picture like that, you know, with uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., Jackson Smith, and Jigba. And then you have Olave and uh, Wilson hey, I mean, in they, the league. They, they've got a better track record so far. One of them's not in prison. So. <laughs> yeah, you can say that again. So, yeah, anyways, more on Bryce Young. My point is about him not having the same supporting cast as these previous Alabama quarterbacks. He has had to create stuff on his own. He has had to produce outside of structure when, you know, the play hits the fan, um, stuff goes awry in that offense, and he has to improvise and make something out of it. And, man, I just think he did a really good job watching his games this season. I mean, he is quick and nimble, a great athlete, um, very elusive to bring down in the backfield. The word that comes to my mind is creator. I mean, he creates. Yeah, he's he's he has some. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm not. I know I say I don't like player comps. I'm not saying his entire game is like this player because he's not. But in some of the ways that Mahomes moves around the pocket and is able to find guys extending the play, I think Bryce Young kind of does that in a similar way. But what I really, what really concerns me about Bryce Young. And, you know, after I say this before elaborating, some of you out there might call me an old head for this take. But I am concerned about his durability. I have questions about his durability and some injury concerns going into the league as a running quarterback. We, we just saw an injury to Kyler Murray towards ACL. Yeah, but, yeah. And, well, I mean, you know, obviously Bryce Young is a little bit bigger, but, mm, but not yeah. much. You yeah, know, no, it's like... What, what, what it's really about... And, you know, before you guys pull up the advanced stats on me, um, I'm going to say it out here now. I know that there's a higher incidence rate of quarterbacks getting hurt in the pocket than running the ball. I'm not saying, you know, running the being a running quarterback means you're going to be more injury prone. But my problem with Bryce Young is that not only is he small, like in terms of his height, he's short. He's listed as six foot, but I don't buy that he's six feet. I think he's around more like... 5'10", 5'11". You know, there have been some short quarterbacks before. That's not great, but whatever. What really um, what really kind of gives me the most concern is his build. He's a really, like, not that strong of a guy. He's, I think, 180, 190. 190, it says. But even Kyler's 210. Yeah, so exactly. And, it's, like, it's like, you know, field, Justin Fields runs a lot. I've never really been concerned with him too much getting injured because, you know, he's a big guy. I think he's, what, around 6'3". Pull up Fields height and wait for a second. Yeah, okay. Let's check this out. So, I mean, there are tons of running quarterbacks in the NFL that don't have these problems. But, yeah, Justin Fields lists him as, like, 6'2", 6'3", uh, 230. So, obviously, he's, he's, he's a really strong guy. I remember, um, I think I was watching Darius Slay's podcast talking about the play where, um, Hassan Reddick, like, got him by the shoulder and was about to bring him down. He just spun out of it and ran for, like, 50 yards, Justin Fields did. Um, they were talking about how you, what really, defensive players, what really takes them by surprise is how strong this guy is. And an even better example of this is a guy like Jalen Hurts, who I don't think Hurts is that tall. I think he's around six feet. Um, we can check on that, but he is so, Jalen Hurts is so incredibly strong. I think there's a video out there of him squatting, like, 600 pounds or something just absolutely insane like that Jalen Hurts is he's a unit I mean (laughs) him paired with that offensive line is why those 
you know, fourth and one, third and one. It's it's unstoppable. Yeah, and it's, speaking of which, I, I speaking of which, I read a report earlier today that the NFL might look to ban what they're calling uh, the tush push on those uh, sneak plays. So we'll see if anything on that front surfaces later this offseason. We'll talk about in a future episode, but. Again, with Bryce Young, I just think taking hits in the pocket, running around as much as he does, um, he is, he, I just have durability concerns about him, you know? And I think, I, I really do think that's a valid concern. And that's not to say, I'm not, from watching the tape, it's not like I think, oh, you know, I like Bryce Young as much or more than CJ Shroud, but like, you know, he's smaller, so I'm going to put CJ Shroud ahead of him. That's not what it is either. You know, the health thing and the durability concerns I have is definitely a factor with why I put CJ ahead of Bryce. But I'm just rewatching the tape. I think CJ Shroud is so NFL ready. I just, I really think he's going to have a great NFL career. Uh, let's talk about some of the things I like about him. I think he's a pretty quick decision maker. Um, he gets through progressions really well. I know Ohio State is a good offensive system, good play callers. They can do um, easy reads for him. They have obviously they have a great receiving core around him. But man, all he did this season was just strike after strike, accurate throws, accurate throws at all levels of the field, outside the numbers, down the middle of the field, uh, deep balls, slants, just anything. He just he is such an accurate passer. He has a great arm, but really the he just the most elite trait I think he has is that ball placement of just. It seems like he can just put a ball wherever he wants, and on top of that, you know, he's not as mobile of a guy, like, compared to Bryce Young, Bryce Young's a lot more mobile, and probably athletic, I'd say. But it was good to Stroud. see in the, in the, in the, sorry, in the semifinal <laughs> In the semifinal, game, final, yeah. Uh, no, it was just good to see him use his legs toward the end of the game. You know, we know he has it, I think, this year, I think as, you know, personally as an Ohio State uh, football uh, fan, and as someone who's watched a lot of Ohio State this year, I just think that, you know, fans were waiting to see him take off. Yeah, I think there might, you know, I don't think there's a chance that the the coaching staff didn't want him to run or take hits because they know how valuable his arm is. They don't want to lose him for the season. But, you know, like you mentioned, the college football playoff, when he had to run, I mean, he took off. And it's not like he's not a slow guy by any means. He's not a guy like, you know, I mean, Justin he almost Fields set him up Jackson, in prime but, position for, for that field goal. Yeah, so. I know. And it just, just came, came just short. But anyways, although C.J. Shroud doesn't, like, run around as much as Bryce Young or take off, he can make some incredible off-platform, like, cross-body throws. I just think his arm talent, his ball placement, his ability to read a defense, I just think he's such a pro-ready quarterback. I think he will take off great. Um, Being a guy who's not as mobile as Bryce Young, I feel like he would fare better um, on a team that already has some built-in weapons, or especially an offensive line. I think if you give C.J. Stroud the time to go through his reads, that's a successful offense in and of itself. I mean, Ohio State had a great O-line this year. Oh, my God, many, yeah. How many prospects did yeah, they have? Two offensive tackles, both off left and right tackles at Ohio State, uh, Paris Johnson Jr. and Dewan Jones, might be first-round picks in this year's draft. I mean, not many schools can say that. So No, and so C.J.'s just... He's my guy for the cycle. I think he's the best quarterback in the draft. But moving on to my list, down to number three. Uh, I got Will Levis here as the third best quarterback. And I I wanted to almost rank him higher just because of his ceiling. But I just, I think 
inherently there's a lot more risk in taking him than Young and Stroud. And something is I just want to say about Will Levis. Um, like Jacob mentioned earlier, he has some accuracy issues. You know, looking through his tape, good amount of throws that he just missed, that didn't look pretty, that, you know, mechanics were off a little bit. But I just think he is... He might have the highest ceiling, I think, of all these quarterbacks in the draft. I mean, which surprised me after looking at his tape, because I remember him, you know, I used to watch a lot of Penn State games. I remember he used to be the backup to Sean Clifford, or I think it was Clifford. It might have been, I think, yeah, I think he's, it's two reasons for McSorley. I'm pretty sure it was a backup to Clifford there, the big red dog. But <laughs> watching Levis at Penn State when he had to fill in for Clifford, to me, I'm just like, just never really... You know, I didn't see anything in him, really. And then he transferred to Kentucky. And beginning of this year, you get to hear some draft buzz about him going top 10, potentially top 5. And some guys are mocking him at number 1. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I I have to admit, I didn't watch much uh, Kentucky football this season. But looking at his tape, I really think he, he has a good chance of being successful in the NFL. Like I said, high ceiling. His arm is just incredible. He has an absolute cannon. He's a really good athlete, too. I think um, he's a big guy, and he's what's surprising about his tape is that he just he has pretty good ball carrier vision for a quarterback. I mean, when it take off, he did. He's a bigger guy. He was able to gain yards when he needed to. Knew when to hang in the pocket and fire a strike. He knew when he had to leave the pocket and take off. I think he has uh, really good instincts. I think... Although we need to polish up some mechanics and accuracy things, I think some of the most important things at the quarterback position that are more uncoachable and they aren't teachable like mechanics is uh, just your instincts as a football player. I think that Will Levis has what impressed me the most and kind of shocked me about his tape. To me, he just had really, really good pocket presence, and I like to use the word poise. He looks so poised in the pocket... He never really looked panicked or anything like that. He always looked confident. He could hang in there under pressure, step up into the areas of the pocket when there were guys coming off the edge. He would never, you know, roll into pressure or anything like that from what I saw. And he could just hang in there and fire a strike. I think with some fine-tuning from a good NFL coaching staff, I think he'll be on the inside track to be one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Now, obviously, I think... Situation matters so much in positions like these. Like I mentioned a couple episodes um, ago about you know the age-old Mahomes and Trubisky issue where the Bears took Trubisky while Mahomes and Deshaun Watson were both on the board. Where it's like you know Bears fans say all the time, "Oh, if only we had drafted Mahomes then." But the we, Bears, we could really see that this year. You know, I mean, yeah. like I think there's legitimately a case to be made that. People take Will Levis over Bryce Young, over C.J. Stroud. It's oh, yeah. honestly just a feel thing, you know? And a coaching staff likes who a coaching staff likes. We've had this conversation several times. It's like, it doesn't matter who you as the fan might think is the best scheme fit or who you think is going to have the best success or who had the best success in college. It's really the, up to the coaching staff. Who's, who's the guy that they want to work with? Exactly, yeah. And, coaching staff in the front office. And, you know, if Will Levis pans out, and he, you know, ends up being taken before guys like Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. That's incredible intuition, but, you know, we could also see a Mitchell Trubisky situation again. Yeah, but 
like as I was saying, it's just the situation matters so much in these situations. <laughs> situation matters so much in these situations. I mean, it really does. In these circumstances, uh, more like it. But anyways, a lot of Bears fans were saying, if only we had drafted Mahomes then. You know, obviously Mahomes is looking like he has a case to, when he retires, be known as the greatest quarterback of all time, undisputedly. But the Bears coaching staff with John Fox then just... You never know. I mean, I think there's a case to be made that if the Bears do go Mahomes there, they just don't know how to develop him correctly, and he's shipped out of town just like Trubisky was. Obviously, I'm not saying Trubisky will. Trubisky for sure will never account to anything Mahomes will in his career. I mean, I don't know if there are. I don't know if you can name five players right in the league that will amount to what Mahomes is going to amount to in his career. But I just think you know if Mahomes is drafted by a team that isn't the Chiefs or is a team who was at a worse coaching staff the last few years like the Bears, who knows what happens. And that's why, you know, I think the team that Levis gets drafted by will play a really big role in uh, his success at the pro professional level because he's kind of, you know, these coaching staffs want to mold their guy into, into a competitor and a guy that they want to work with. So it's like Will Levis drafted by one team, they could develop him the right way and he could be a star, but if he's taken by a team who maybe doesn't have a great offensive coaching staff where they're really confident that they can develop this guy into a star quarterback, but it just doesn't happen. If you if you look at Patrick Mahomes and what, what set him apart and what sets some of these quarterbacks parts apart is they have a veteran guy or a, these, oh, yeah. these organizations have a veteran guy or a bridge quarterback. And Alex Smith. It, yeah, and so Patrick Mahomes, they had it with Alex Smith. Um, I think Will Levis needs to find a home where there's a bridge quarterback, some veteran guy who can give him this, the tips and suggestions that he needs to find success at the NFL level. I think, you know, potential suitors could be, you know, maybe even the Saints. Maybe even the Saints trade up or something. Yeah, who knows? Um, after, after they sign Derek Carr, potentially. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, um, that, that could happen. Or I was even thinking whoever lands free agent Jimmy Garoppolo as well. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, <clears throat> but I'm looking for Will Levis to go to some place where there's a bridge quarterback. Yeah, and as much as I don't like the guy, as I think about it now, uh, I think it's looking like now Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, will not um, remain with the Packers this season. He'll be a shift in some sort of trade. Now that I think about it, you know, he probably only has a year or two left in the tank, Rodgers. If a team trades for Rodgers, I mean... You know, maybe, as, as I'm saying this, they might not have a first-round pick this year, but somehow if they were able to get Levis, I think Levis working behind a guy like Rodgers would be so valuable for his career and the foreseeable future. But, yeah, I just think to kind of put this Levis talk aside for a second, I mean, his poise really strikes me as just instinctually, I think this guy gets the game of football. I think he really just he, – he has some accuracy issues for sure, you know, needs to do a, a better job of kind of processing what's in front of him. But I think with a good coaching staff, he'll be able to put it together and be a successful quarterback. Moving on to my number four, I got uh, the guy Jacob had at number three, Anthony Richardson. I it, it pains me to put Anthony Richardson as low as four on my list because he is just objectively such an electric, electrifying. So exciting to watch. Exciting player. I mean, he is, I mean, where, where do I start? He is a true dual threat type guy. He's an incredible athlete. Like, oh my goodness, watching some of these plays he's making, contouring his body to make passes, or if he's, you know, making guys miss on the run. He is just a tremendous athlete. He's a dual threat, super fast and athletic, and also he is an absolute cannon for an arm. Like, 
I didn't, you know, I saw some of his highlights during the college football season, but really watching his tape, I got a great appreciation of how he can just sling it, put the ball wherever he wants, whenever he wants to, in terms of just, you know, throwing it on a rope on a line. But where some of my negatives for Anthony Richardson come into play are, you know, the more little things. But I think the little things are really important. Like, he has just really bad mechanics in the pocket, in my opinion. I think when I watch him, he kind of gets happy feet. He gets a little antsy in there. You know, sometimes he rolls out of the pocket into pressure when he has room to step up and fire a throw, and he does, and he, you know, gets scared and rolls out into more pressure. Um, I think he doesn't have the greatest uh, pocket awareness or poise sometimes in the pocket. But so I think those things are just going to hinder his ability. I think, you know, he's a guy like Will Levis who is super raw, but I just think Anthony Richardson compared to Levis, um, I think I just think he has a longer way to go in terms of getting his skill set ready to be in a starting NFL quarterback. I mean, I would agree with you on the quarterback side. I just think like the benefits of taking a quarterback like Anthony Richardson is like you're going to have him as an athlete. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, I, like, see, I see what you're saying. You know, if he for some reason doesn't pan out as the quarterback that you wanted him to be, he's still a fantastic athlete. Um, I mean, seriously, I, I mentioned this before. Teams are looking for these gadget type players. And when you take a, a, a flyer on Anthony Richardson, you know, it's going to be at a high price with the way that he's, you know, soaring up, up the, the draft yeah. boards. But I, I, I just, I see it an incredible amount of value in guys like Dorian Thompson-Robinson and Anthony Richardson for that reason. No, yeah, I, I can definitely see that. And when, when you're listening to Jacob talk about how good of an athlete he is, and I know there have been discussions in the, in the past, like when Jalen Hurts was a rookie and Carson Wentz, oh, they should make him a gadget player. Jalen Hurts is a phenomenal athlete too, but Anthony Richardson is like out of this world. He is potentially like a top 10 just pure athlete in this draft class. I mean, seeing the stuff he does... He's just an athletic marvel. So I think Jacob's point definitely has a lot of merit. But that being said, I mean, for me, he just has, you know, like Levis, he has accuracy questions. But in my opinion, even more so, there are just a lot of, like, missed throws in there. You know, occasionally, like, oh, my God, he throws a dime, like, 50, 60 yards downfield. But when we're talking about accuracy as a metric for these quarterbacks, it's can they do it on a consistent basis? How consistently can they put the ball in the right spots? And for Anthony Richardson, it's just not there yet. Again, I don't think it's there yet for Levis either. But I think for me, what what makes me be a guy who likes Levis more than Richardson is just that I think Levis has some of that poise and um, pocket awareness to be a true passer that I think Anthony Richardson is at this point is lacking. And in my opinion, I just think I think that's a lot harder to teach than some of these mechanic issues that both guys have, like. This poise, this uh, ability to be confident in the pocket, to not bail out, to not uh, panic. I think a lot of that is instinctual, and it's hard to just have a coaching staff, you know, drill into a guy confidence. And with that being said, uh, I'm going to go to my number five here. Who He's a guy who I think maybe earlier in this college football season, people had at like maybe even three, but... His age is a factor. He's a 25 going into the draft. He turned 25 in January, so he's definitely older. Obviously, you know, with quarterbacks these days, 
They can play. They quarterbacks play a lot longer. I mean, you see with Tom Brady, he's playing until forty-five. That's for sure an anomaly. An anomaly, but quarterbacks are playing well into their thirties nowadays. So the age is less of a question mark at twenty-five than it would be for a running back per se or a receiver. But this guy I'm talking about is Hendon Hooker, and the main thing about why he's kind of fallen all the way off the face of the earth on a lot of these people's draft boards is because he suffered an ACL injury at the tail end of the season. So he's definitely not going to be able to play right away. And some of his uh, athleticism that he had and showcased at Tennessee, who knows you know, how much of that he's going to retain on the repaired knee. I think it'll be interesting to see, honestly, what teams are willing to give up for um, a dr- for. Hendon Hooker. Yeah, like, like where they'll take him in the draft. Well, yeah, but it's just, you know, you got to think about it as um, an investment. You know, Hendon Hooker is an investment. It's going to be interesting to see what teams want to invest in him because th- there are so many question marks. You know, he is 25, and he's that's incredibly old for a college quarterback. There's some NFL quarterbacks that are, you know, at the top of the league that aren't even 25 yet. So I just think that. That is one thing that, that NFL scouts are going to look at. They're also going to look at how he had an incredible year. Yeah. You know, he led this Tennessee Volunteers team to greatness. And, you know, without, without his injury, who knows how they would have ended up. But, but honestly, I just think you're getting a leader. You're getting somebody who turned a program around. And you're getting him at, I know I'll be at the injury, you're getting him at a sixth-round, seventh-round pick grade. I just think that that's a great investment to make. You know, I, yeah. I I don't think you can go wrong. If he doesn't pan out, it's a sixth or seventh round pick. Yeah, and speaking of his the success that he had at Tennessee this year, I mean, you know, Tennessee played a lot of games that, you know, were on national TV, and I had the pleasure of watching him through those games. To me, what stuck out, stuck out um, not only his athleticism that I already mentioned, again, with the injury, who knows what the future holds, but... He just looks like he is. I mean, obviously, he's an older guy, but he looks like he has sound mechanics. Um, he like When I saw him throw the ball, he looked really accurate. Just a great type of, even without his athleticism, he's just a great field general in the pocket, I think. Just getting the ball into the hands of his playmakers like on that team, like uh, Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman. Um, but again, he is coming off his ACL at 25 years old, so I can't put him any higher than five because I think... You know, that's a huge concern for a lot of these NFL teams. He's not one of these premier guys that's going to be taken on the first or second day of the draft. If he's drafted at all, it's going to be in day three. But, but I, I mean, mean, look at how look at how, yeah, 20, how productive he was. 27 20? touchdowns and two interceptions in that season with Tennessee. I mean, And he, he played he all but put, one game uh, and the bowl game. But yeah. just incredible numbers. And, and SEC is not playing cupcakes. He's playing Bama. He's playing all of these good teams. He's playing Georgia. And he's just putting up good numbers. I think it's a great pick in the later rounds. I yeah, really do. And, and yeah, for sure. I mean, when I look at him, and obviously he has great production. When you're NFL scouting is a balancing act between um, production and perceived elite traits. There are going to be guys that are going to fall because you know they don't have elite traits in the NFL, or they don't have elite traits that people, that scouts think are going to translate well to the NFL, and their guys are going, to, are going to fall in the draft because they didn't produce much in college. Like Alvin Kamara at Tennessee, sticking with the Volunteers, I think he was a third-round pick by the Saints. He wasn't even the starting running back at Tennessee. He wasn't the first string. He didn't get much playing time. 
But the Saints brought him in for workouts. They're like, man, this guy has some incredible next-level traits. They took a chance on him in the third round, and I think we can all agree that paid off. Kind of funny mean, that you brought up Alvin Kamara with the news the other day. Oh, yeah, about him getting indicted Getting for indicted, that. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not, not intentional, Unfortunate but, timing, but yes, I understand. But yeah, I mean, Hendon Hooker had, I think, like, the best QBR in the nation at, like, 89 or 90 this season, something really, really great. I mean, he just impressed me so much in this season, played really good teams. And I think a lot of people forgot about him because of his injury and because yeah, of how, sure. how Tennessee kind of, the playoff hopes were, were smashed. So, you know, I think that's that led to Hendon Hooker kind of, you know, falling out of touch with, with the, the top conversations. Yeah, I, I definitely, I'd say, agree with that. Um, let's go back to your list for a second. Um, let's look at who have your honorable mention. For those of you listening, these guys are going to be from smaller schools. You probably won't have, I mean, if you're a really huge draft nerd, maybe you've heard of them. But we kind of took a deep dive at some of these guys. And so, Jacob, who is your honorable mention? Um, so, my honorable mention is quarterback Jake Hayner out of Fresno State. So if, you, if you've never heard of Jake Hayner before, he's a transfer from the University of Washington. And he's he had an incredible year this year. He had a 72% completion percentage, which is really impressive. Um, I think he, I think that was, that was tied for, for third in the, in, uh, sorry, in college football this year. Um, but, you know, he, he plays in the Mountain West, and it was a good Mountain West this year, uh, definitely competitive. And you know what I what I look for when I see quarterbacks from these small schools, um, you know, coming up the draft boards, I look at like what can you see right away that would translate to the NFL. Oh yeah. And right away, Jake Hayner's accuracy is spot on. I mean, he can really, really put it on a on a line on a on a rope to these to these wide receivers and. You know, honestly, his deep ball is incredible. And I think Jake Hayner is an incredible person to take a late-round pick on, late-round flyer. Uh, and I'm really, really excited. I, I, You know, I know that he's he's got a grade of, of an undrafted free agent. I think he's a steal as an undrafted free agent, honestly. Um, but seventh-round, undrafted free agent, I think he's an incredible pickup. Could become something. Um, you know, like, like Kendon Hooker, he only had three interceptions on the year. Yeah. Like the accuracy is just, it's, it's on point for him. And honestly, that's what excites me about Jake Hayner. Yeah. I mean, when you look at guys like Hayner who produce well, at these small schools have, you know, accurate quarterbacks like this, but scouts don't think they have the next level traits to be, you know, like a top end NFL starter. These are guys who could fall in the draft, like, and even not be drafted who they could be signed as an undrafted free agent and be like, Maybe a career backup, but like a solid backup at that. Like think of guys like Chase Daniel, who Chase Daniel's been a backup his whole career, but he's been one of the most like sought after backups in free agency after year every year, being able to fill in for the starters like that. I think Hayner projects as one of those guys who could be in the NFL for a long time as like a as like a solid backup type guy. And um, before, or do you do you have anything more to say about Hayner? I mean, people also forget this guy had is coming off. Um, a 4,000 passing yard season just two years ago, um, the year before this. And I'm not 100% sure if he played all games this season, um, but the, the games that he played in the season, he was absolutely flawless. And I think that 
it's these later rounds that you can pick up guys like this that that are overshadowed by by some of the other guys that we've talked about on this list. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm just excited for him. I think uh, we were looking into it, and the Packers had given him. Um, he, he met with the Packers. Unfortunately, we don't like the Packers. But no, no. But but yeah, they they invited him for an interview, I think. And then um, but yeah, I remember uh, earlier this week we were watching Hayner's film, some of his tape, and what stuck out to me is he just he he looks like he always knows where to go with the ball. Like he's a very accurate guy, and he makes decisions like this. It's just. Very snappy. He looks like he processes the field very well. Just knows where to go with the ball. Efficient guy who can just get the ball out to his playmakers and let them do the rest. He's actually Todd McShay's, one of Todd McShay's, or his favorite player from the, the Senior Bowl. Um, Jake Hanner, uh, if, you, if you want the opportunity, definitely look up his, his Senior Bowl stats. and, yeah, his, and his I'm, I'm sure yeah. some of that stuff's on YouTube for free, so... Anyways, before we get to my um, honorable mention, I'm going to go back to number five on your list for a second, DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson out of UCLA, because I just had a couple notes that I want to talk about with him. He wasn't on my list. He's not my honorable mention, but he's a very intriguing guy to me. Like, like Jacob said, he could be a potential gadget guy. He's an incredible athlete, just blazing fast. He has a big arm too, which is good to see, but... For me, what makes him so intriguing is that, like, you wonder if some of his ills as a passer can be worked on and improved by an NFL coaching staff. Like, what stuck out to me, some of the negatives, are that, um, kind of similar to Anthony Richardson, but even more so, I think, DTR looked really antsy in the pocket to me. He had some iffy accuracy. Sometimes he'd just roll out, be looking for a guy that wasn't really open. He'd throw a pass on the run. It would kind of sail on him and get picked off. Saw a couple of those plays. But, I mean, he's an incredible athlete, dual threat guy. It looks like he has a – I think he really understands the game well and has a high football IQ. It's just sometimes he's throw a sail on him and he needs to get better at some of these mechanic issues. But, I mean – if you can improve his decision-making, some of his mechanics and stuff like that, and just pocket presence, he could be one of these late-round steals that I could see being, you know, a dual-threat quarterback in the league. Now, moving on to my honorable mention pick. Oops, uh, I think we lost some cargo there off the table, but... My honorable mention for this draft class is a guy by the name of Holton Ehlers. Now, um, Jacob talked a little bit earlier about things that stick out from a guy from the first clip you watch them and for Ehlers it's uh glaringly obvious because the thing that sticks out to you the most is he's a lefty I mean obviously it doesn't really mean anything for how he plays but just wanted to give you the full impression of who he is as a player um I like a lot of things about Holton Ehlers he has watching his tape he has really good accuracy great ball pl- placement and this is something I really like out of these quarterbacks watching them because I think it's more instinctual and harder to teach he has great pocket presence. He is super poised in the pocket when I'm watching his plays. He doesn't panic at all. You know, he, can, he knows when to throw the ball away. He doesn't have the, the elite ability, per se, to extend the play like some of these other guys. But he is, I'd call him a, he's not like a dual threat guy like Richardson or Dorian Thompson-Robinson, but I'll call him a plus athlete. He's not a guy like Mike Glennon, whose feet are basically glued to the ground every play. And by the way, this guy went to ECU, that's East Carolina University, so no wonder you, most of you probably haven't heard of him. 
didn't play, you know, that great competition. But, you know, they played Cincinnati on the season, Houston, BYU. So he's not playing total cupcakes out there. You know, Houston with Clayton Toon. Clayton Toon, yeah, Houston guy. Um, but anyways, uh, this guy, Ehlers, um, great ball placement. He's a plus athlete. I think he can do more with his legs and people kind of give him credit for he's not one of these insane athletes but his feet aren't like they're not glued to the ground like I like to describe guys like Mike Glenn or guys that just can have no mobility in the pocket but he also just has a really high football IQ I think he reads the field really well that's something that surprised me looking at his tape from you know a smaller school in East Carolina I think he reads the field really well very accurate nice and poised what what's probably going to lead him to not be drafted very highly. And in fact, he has an undrafted free agent rating or grade on most draft websites that we're looking at. So he's probably going to be a UDFA guy that people bring into camp after the draft. So what I think holds him back from, you know, being drafted at all is just that he doesn't really have any of these elite physical traits that a lot of these NFL scouts are looking for. He doesn't have a rocket arm like Anthony Richardson. He's not a true escape artist like Bryce Young. He doesn't do anything like that on the next level, but I just think the best way to describe him is a sound, sound, fundamental player. And he also has the ability to, to run it with his legs. I think a couple times we saw in his film, yeah. you know, they, they go to him on the goal line. They went to him several times on uh, quarterback draws and, and read options. So Yeah, that's something that I think could even be expanded more upon in the NFL if teams want to give him the chance to do that. He's not... He's mostly a pocket passer. He's not a guy that's going to throw in the run a lot, like cross-body like C.J. Stroud, and he's not going to, you know, escape the pocket in miraculous ways like Bryce Young, as I mentioned. But if the play breaks down, he can take off and run and, you know, pick up the first down when he needs to. You know, when I was reading some, some articles about Holton Ehlers, the one thing that they docked him on was his awkward footwork. And he does look a bit awkward when he runs. Um, and, you know, he doesn't have as great a pocket presence as some of these other guys that we were talking about. But... He can run, you know. No, yeah, I, I think can. that's that's an underrated thing. Yeah, I mean, he, when I was when I was yeah when I was talking about his pocket presence earlier, his his footwork and mechanics and stuff like that could use some work. I think that can be improved. And it but, looks a little weird because he's a lefty. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. It's never gonna look like. I remember I saw a video once I think where it was like two a tongue of Iloa clips, but they were inverted, so it looked like he was throwing a righty, and it just looked so much like more natural. I guess it didn't look as wonky. So I guess we're just not used to lefties throwing the ball sometimes, but. Um, Holton Naylor's can certainly improve his mechanics. He's not great in that area. But to me, he never looked like he had, like, super happy feet or he didn't look panicked. He didn't look like he was, like, didn't know what to do. He didn't look like he'd roll out into, like, bad sides of pressure and stuff like that. So his footwork and mechanics can be improved for sure. But I think that inherent and underlying confidence and poise really is there with him. And I think with a little bit of fine-tuning from NFL coaching staff, he could, you know, be one of these guys that's, like, can be a bridge quarterback for a team or just a really solid backup and make an NFL squad. Well, I mean, those are our lists. Are there anything else that we got to talk about in this episode? Not really. What do we got on the on the schedule for next week, Patrick? Uh, there were uh, We've been really busy lately. Uh, this week we did uh, kind of a shorter episode to just recap the Super Bowl. came out earlier this week. But uh, it's... Out from here, I think it's just going to be a kind of once-a-week thing every Friday or Saturday. I mean, 
the off season is around the corner now. Free agency is going to start in a few weeks. So I think if something, if a trade or some any really big news breaks, we'll try to record a just a, a really quick podcast ASAP to get it out there, share with you our thoughts in the range of like 10 to 20 minutes, maybe even less than that for some of them, just to get them out quick so, you, so we can update you guys on what's going on and give you our thoughts on them. I mean, the scouting combine's coming up, so there's going to be a lot of talk about. starts February 28th. Exactly. We're now on the countdown of the combine. <laughs> this month. It'll definitely be interesting to see how the draft board shakes up after the combine. You yeah, know, well, we've, <laughs> seen, we've seen guys go from undrafted free agents to you know potential first-round picks. So the combine will definitely be revealing. And I'm sure it'll shed light on, on some of these guys like, like Holton Ehlers um, and like, like Jake Hayner. And, you know, we'll see if, if they can increase their status and become um, more draft relevant. Yeah, I mean, Combine is such an exciting event to me. I get to see all these guys. I get to see the premier running backs. Running backs aren't really uh, drafted as highly as they used to, but there are some really elite ones, I think, in this class. And that's what we're going to talk, be talking about next week. We're going to be doing the same type of thing that we did today, but just with running backs going through that offense offensive depth chart so exciting news patrick yeah i mean i think that's all we have for today we'll see you next week talk about running backs if any breaking news comes out in the next week we'll be sure to address that give you guys the latest scoop but that's it for today thanks for tuning in yep thank you so much for listening patrick rossiello and jacob rodson it's been a great one